Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, welcome back, everybody. Let me get right into it. Um, I had a listener of the podcast send me a great deal of very interesting information over the course of the last few days, and it's greatly appreciated, and I just wanted to share it with the audience, and a little food for thought here, basically. The automobile in the Uvalde, Texas story is beyond suspicious, if anybody ever saw a still photo of that. It looked like it went through some kind of a barrier, I guess. Uh, It looked like the wheels fell off, or the axle at the very least on the front end of this so-called pickup truck fell off, and it is a pickup truck. It's a gray Ford F-150, as it turns out. I know a lot of people out there have been saying it's a, it's a F-250, but what these people apparently weren't thinking about is that the license plate, of course, was still on the automobile, and you could zoom in on the license plate, and this particular individual looked up all the information. So here's what came back. The license plate number is FNK5522, out of the state of Texas, and that's, that's that right there. The next thing is that it is, in fact, a Ford F-150. It's a 2008, and it is registered to the owner, Celia Gonzalez. Now, the VIN number for this automobile is 1FTRW. 12W48FB68410. And again, it is registered to Uvalde, Texas. Uh, what, what, what is also interesting about this, however, are the names that are associated with this automobile. And even though the Celia Gonzalez lady is registered to it, there is also another name that appears to be registered to it also, which is a bit strange, and I, I hope I'm interpreting that correctly, but there's a Celia Martinez Gonzalez, 66 years old, and they have had uh, residents in Houston, Uvalde, uh, Nipa, if I'm saying that right, K-N-I-P-P-A, Texas, and Uvalde again, all different zip codes. And then there's this Celia C. Gonzalez, 75 years old, and they have had addresses in Caldwell, Texas, Uvalde, Texas, and then three separate, I'm sorry, four separate uh, locations. Well, no, my apologies. Yeah, four separate zip codes in Idaho, Nampa and Caldwell being the specific locations. Uh, And then I thought, well, I'm going to look up these two particular individuals and see what I can find. Now, I don't trust the Daily Beast any further than I can throw them as a news outlet, but I came across this, and this was just from June 2nd, and it's it's titled from the Daily Beast, uh, Grandma told Shooter to get rid of gun before Uvalde massacre. I'm going to read this whole thing because, again, both of their names pop up in this which is strange. Uh, It just seems odd to me. So the article reads as such. It says, The woman Salvador Ramos shot in the face discovered a weapon a few days before this heroic, this horrific, rather, attack and wanted it out of the house, sources say. 
And this, ladies and gentlemen, too, is a perfect example as to why I recommend you download the website uh, 12feet.io. It's the, the number 12 and then ft.io. Uh, it is a website that takes the paywalls off of particular websites. And Daily Beast has a paywall, but this removes it immediately, which is great. Uh, so. It continues, it says, Uvalde, Texas, in the days before Salvador, Salvador Ramos shot and killed 21 people at Robb Elementary School, his grandmother demanded he remove a gun from her house, according to a neighbor and a law enforcement official familiar with the investigation. Rudy Martinez, Rudy Martinez, who lives in the same neighborhood as Ramos's family, told the Daily Beast that on Thursday prior to the Daily the deadly massacre, Celia Gonzalez, also known as Sally, described Ramos becoming outraged for her insisting he get at least one gun out of her house. Quote, we heard them yelling, Martinez told the Daily Beast. I asked Sally what they were, why they were fighting about this time or what they were fighting about this time. And she told me that her and her sister or someone had found out that Salvador had brought guns into her house. She didn't want them there. The mass murderer's aunt, Natalie Salazar, told authorities that the family had discovered a semi-automatic rifle in a duffel bag that day, May 19th, and told them he had to take it out of the house because his grandfather was a criminal, has, has a criminal record and is not allowed to possess firearms, according to the law enforcement source. Here we go where it gets more interesting. Again, with all these names, there's another twist in this story. Or another lie, basically. The source believes that the weapon was a Smith & Wesson M&P 15, which is their version of their AR, that Ramos legally purchased on May 17th, one day after his 18th birthday. Salazar told authorities that Ramos left the residence following the grandmother's discovery, according to law enforcement source. All these sources, quote-unquote. Funny. His records show that Ramos acquired a second rifle, a Daniel Defense M4 V7, that Friday. He did not appear to have either rifle in his immediate possession when he returned to the home on Sunday, according to the law enforcement source. The shooting was carried out on Tuesday, May 24th. Celia Gonzalez, the grandmother, was ultimately shot in the face by Ramos and could not be reached for comment. Salazar declined to comment for this story and attempts to reach her sister, the shooter's mother, Adriana Reyes, were unsuccessful. Martinez, the neighbor, said she could hear yelling and arguing coming from the direction of the Gonzalez's house on the Thursday morning prior to the massacre at Robb Elementary. It says, quote, I didn't know what they were fighting about, Martinez told the Daily Beast. First of all, why are these people talking to the Daily Beast? That's that's a uh, that's suspicious because of uh, again the mainstream media can't find these people let alone talk to them. How is it that the Daily Beast is getting a hold of these people and they're just willfully talking? Not to mention, and I know that people have the same last name, um, in particular within Hispanic communities, so to speak. There's going to be a lot of Salazars and there might be a lot of Gonzalez's and X Y Z, but. Uh, these two individuals have the exact same last name. The grandmother is allegedly Celia C. Gonzalez, 75 years old. And this neighbor, who is going by the last name Martinez, 
it just happens to be the middle name of a person who's aged 66 that the vehicle is also registered to, apparently, named Celia Martinez Gonzalez. I, I don't I don't get it. Who, who does the car belong to? That's the question. But these two names pop up as being possible registered uh, owners. So, yeah. This Martinez gal continues, and she says, quote, I wish he would have just taken his anger out on me instead of everybody else. That would have been better than him killing all of those little babies in that school over there. Well, he didn't kill anybody. Ronaldo Reyes, the shooter's grandfather and Gonzalez's husband, has said that he would have never allowed guns in his home in the first place. He told the Daily Beast that he only learned about a gun about the gun's potential presence at sun, that Sunday. At that point, according to law enforcement source who cited Salazar's account, the shooter had returned to the home and appeared to no longer have any guns. And then it says, quote, no, I would have made sure that he didn't bring them into our house because I have a record and I cannot be around guns or anything like that, Reyes said. He said, quote, I am always really careful because they could send me to jail for even being around them. Martinez, the neighbor, affirmed that Reyes has always been very cautious when it comes to being around guns. They said, quote, most of us around here go deer hunting, Martinez said. Ronaldo won't even go out to the deer lease with us because of guns. He is very careful about that, unquote. And then that's the end of the article. So, again, it's odd that the Daily Beast can somehow get a hold of these people. It's odd that they're being believed. It's interesting that the automobile came back as being an F-150, which, again, not unusual, but to have these two names associated with it um, is, is a bit odd. Again, if this Celia Martinez Gonzalez person who is a, apparently registered to this automobile, why would a neighbor and the grandmother, uh, the alleged grandmother of this kid, be registered to the same automobile? Uh, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. This listener to the podcast also sent me this, and it's kind of their breakdown of, of this information here. They said, uh, I'm not hundred percent sure because the website that I use to get that information makes you sign a disclaimer that basically says that all the information provided is from public sourcing and we cannot be held liable for any mistakes. They said, I tried to send you the links instead, but it would not let me share the link. The boy's grandmother is supposedly the owner of the vehicle. Her last name in the news is Celia Gonzalez, but the title it is but on the title it is Celia Martinez. Of course, Hispanic people go by two last names normally, and I sent you the people search, quote unquote, and one of them is Celia Martinez Gonzalez. But her supposed husband's name is not on the relatives list, nor is he the nor is he the supposed grandson. It looks like they are indicating that the truck with the VIN number registered to the car title and tag is a white truck, and it shows a white picture. It's just basically a stock picture, I think. But it says, but I couldn't find the color on any of the information. On the Carfax, it says that the truck is noted as gray. But then they said, so I'm not 100%. But I'm still trying to locate some more information 
Sorry, it's taking so long. Blah blah blah. It, I mean, it's that's it's a good dig. It's a solid dig because again, it shows of, of relatives associated with both of these individuals. This Celia Martinez Gonzalez, sixty-six years old, where their relatives all have the last name Gonzalez, and the relatives listed here are Anita, Brenda, Daniel, Joel, and JP. But the Celia C. Gonzalez. 75 years old, all of their relatives that are listed here, their last name is Contreras. Jessica Contreras, Maria Alina Contreras, Santana Contreras, Sylvia Contreras, and another different Sylvia Contreras with a different middle name. Uh, uh, yeah, it's still very odd. And it's, it's looking more and more like the automobile was was maybe just placed there instead of actually driven through some kind of a barrier. Again, no skid marks in the picture. There's no brake marks. There's nothing. There's no, there's no dirt behind the automobile where, the, where there would be at least a trail of some kind. It's, it's very odd is my point. And uh, keen eyes are taking a look at this, which is great. And so the information is certainly certainly valuable because it's just busting more holes into this entire story. Speaking of busting more holes into this one, I wanted to mention this too. This is an excellent find from a listener of the podcast also. They ended up sending me this video and wouldn't you know it, it's the exact same person that has been identified earlier as being a crisis actor or an alleged crisis actor. And then of course was identified by the AP as being this unnamed teacher. Which is funny, again, because where's the yearbook? We should be able to identify this person if they are, in fact, a teacher, which, of course, they aren't. It's, it's beyond embarrassing. And here's who the woman is. This is the woman that I mentioned in a previous episode on that Facebook video, which is on my BitChute channel, which is about an hour long, of a guy who, again, is walking around with a cell phone and he's haphazardly talking over his own footage. It's the woman with the short black hair with the black shirt, with the stretched out collar, and the torn jean shorts, and the sandals. In this news report by KXAN on YouTube, their local NBC News affiliate apparently, they actually talk to this woman, but they blur out her face. But she's wearing the same clothes, and you can tell she has short black hair, and she's on the property. It's the same person, but she doesn't want to be identified. So again, they blur out her face, but it's pretty easy to figure out who it is because they don't even bother changing her voice. Again, it's beyond ridiculous. If a yearbook exists, you would be able to find out the name of this person if this person was in fact a teacher in the building, but they aren't. Somebody needs to find a yearbook for that school and match it to this person and see if this person is in that book. No chance they are. No chance. This person is not a school teacher there. Because again, in that AP article that I mentioned previously, this was the same woman who was wearing nicer clothes, kneeling down, putting her hand on the, on the makeshift memorials. And it said at the bottom of the caption of, of that particular article, and I, it could have been a BBC article, frankly. Uh, I, I'm getting the two mixed up, but it was still her. And there she was, wearing the same sunglasses, same haircut, same color, same, same style, same everything. It's her. And it just said, 
Rob Elementary School teacher, but it didn't say her name. She's not been identified by name in any report, but we can see her face in countless video throughout that, again, throughout that Facebook BitChute video that I have on my BitChute channel that's an hour long. And we can see her face in the BBC article. But the local news affiliate blurs out her face because now this is the alleged person who propped open the door with the rock and then took the rock away once she found out that there was a shooter on, on, the, on the campus with a gun. Stop it. It's embarrassing. I'm going to play the audio. Here it goes. Three, two, one. Also today, we are hearing from the Rob Elementary School teacher who propped open a door at the school before the shooting. She spoke with News Nation late last week, and KXAN's Daniel Medin has her account of what happened and frustration as the narrative keeps changing. I'm telling the operator, he's got a gun, he's got a gun. Speaking to News Nation last Thursday, the teacher, who is not being identified for her safety, says she propped open the door as she awaited a delivery, supplies for a school dance. That's when she says she saw the gunman crash his vehicle. And they yell, he's got a gun. So I ran back. I ran back into my building. I still had the rock on the door. So I opened the door, kicked kicked the rock and then locked it. Investigators say the door didn't lock and the shooter was able to enter. Police initially said the teacher had left the door open, just one in a string of details that have been corrected by investigators in the weeks since the tragedy. That prompted the Combined Law Enforcement Association of Texas, which represents police officers, to endorse an independent investigation by the U.S. Justice Department. When you're managing a crisis communicative, you got to get a message out quickly and accurately. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. UT Austin professor John Daly specializes in crisis communication. He says there were too many official voices early on in Uvalde. DPS was talking, the local police were talking, the governor was talking, senators were talking. UT journalism professor Renita Coleman says it's important for those delivering key information in any investigation to resist the natural human reaction to try and hide things that could make them look bad. You just say, I made a mistake. If that's what you did, or you just say, I was scared. People are going to understand that more. Daniel Marine, KXAN News. Further adding to the confusion, Uvalde District Police Chief Pete Arredondo told CNN in a brief interview today that he is speaking regularly with DPS investigators, contradicting claims from state law enforcement yesterday that he had stopped cooperating. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I just, I can't take it anymore. The lying, the constant lying, the constant changing stories. You heard this crisis actor who's not a teacher openly admit in their story, I propped open the door with a rock and then I re-entered my building and, uh, and then I, I moved the rock and I closed the door and I locked it. She said she locked it. And then everybody else is saying, well, it wasn't locked. Turns out it wasn't locked. Remember, the initial story was, is that the very initial story was that this teacher purposefully left open the door for the shooter, which wasn't a shooter and didn't shoot anybody. I, the lying is incredible. Every single angle. And now look what they're doing. They're bringing in these UT professors to basically say the reason that the story is changing isn't because it's a lie. That's not it. Don't pay attention to that. 
it's because too many people are talking all at the same time. And that gets mixed messages and people get confused and ha ha ha. It's just so easy for people to get confused when that many people are talking. So the story needs to be the same from the people who were there instead of all of the talking heads. But that's not the way it works with a false flag. That's not the way it works with a hoax. The way it works with a hoax is the people at the scene don't even know what the story is because it gets blown out of proportion because it was just a drill and then there are crisis actors that are interviewed on the scene and then, of course, the corruption and the money exchanging and God knows what else. It's incredible. So there's your, there's your quote-unquote teacher. There's the teacher perspective. This is the person who should be on paid administrative leave if they were really a school teacher in this situation and had done that. But they aren't. So everybody's just lying. It's that simple. Everyone's just lying. Every procedure in this, if, the, if these were real employees, every procedure was, was broken. They should all be fired, like I said in the last episode, but that's not going to happen because nothing happened here. It's incredible. And it's the same woman, for God's sakes. I mean, they can't even find a different woman. They couldn't find a different person. It had to be the same crisis actor. Incredible. Here's, here's one of the interesting parts about this is that, like I said in the last episode, every single new revelation that comes out, the media immediately comes out with a story, and they just say, well, as it turns out, this isn't true. As it turns out, this isn't true. So all of these questions that are getting asked, all they're doing is quickly writing up a story to basically, I don't want to use the word debunk, but you know what I mean, to discredit us for asking these questions but what they don't know is, is that they are actually discrediting themselves from the initial story that they once told, the, the second that all of this took place. And now investigators are looking into why the door did not lock. Give me a flippin' break. If these people had a key fob entry, which, which they most certainly would have, unless, of course, it was the kind of door that would always lock from the outside, but never lock from the inside, which would usually take a, a specialized key that a school teacher typically wouldn't have in their possession. A, a janitor would have that, a custodian, or a, a school administrator would be in possession of that key. Um, and it's almost like an Allen wrench kind of key in some cases. But it wouldn't be unusual that a door with that kind of a lock might not shut all the way and ultimately lock on its own, which is, again, what they're typically designed to do. If they had a key fob entry thing, though, and the door, as I said in the last episode, the door wouldn't close, all that would do is set off an alarm. And the alarm would be located right at that particular spot, right in that door. So people around that door would certainly hear the alarm. And it's a loud alarm. I've heard them before. You know, a gust of wind makes its way in between the door jam and it just and it props open the door and it doesn't keep you know, it just doesn't it doesn't close the door all the way. The same thing can happen in cases like this, but even so, 
it's just too suspicious because they've already gone back on their story. Where did it? Where did the story come from? A teacher propped it open with a rock. So now all of a sudden the teacher's not guilty of any negligence of any kind because they heard a shooter was coming and they closed the door, but it turns out that the door didn't close all the way and it was an accident and whatever. I mean, this is a big accident. If you're trying to stick to your story, that's a, that's a relatively big accident. No one can stay on the same page here. And this is what happens when it's a drill. When it's this odd, it's, it's beyond shady. Uh, let me, let me read this. This came from another listener of the podcast and they sent the following and it was a a brief text thread here. They said that they were, that they are, uh, familiar with an, I'm saying that to sort of hide some identity here, but very familiar with an individual who has a husband who is apparently a border patrol. And there's a text thread that reads like this. It says, quote, from the first person, Dude, what are your thoughts on Uvalde? Fake like Sandy Hook? Question mark. And then the response, It was my gut reaction. And I think it was something like Sandy Hook. One of my husband's friends was there. And I was like, why? He has, has he answered you? There's too many WTF in this whole scenario. And they responded back and said, did he, did, did he answer him? Yeah, way too many holes in the story. And then they responded and said, yes, uh, said he had training, quote unquote. It was his station before the one he's at now. And then someone else, and then they replied back and said, I watched an hour long thing on BitChute this morning. Some kids are coming out of the building and this dude is like, it was a training. The kid was like, it's a training. The whole video is sketch. And then they responded, everything about it is sketchy. There's no doubt about it. And I went over again, the the procedures for such an event just don't match up with what is actually on the books for an event like this. So... I, uh, I mean, it, it gets weirder. You want to hear another, another goofy thing? This has to do with the, uh, the caskets. This story comes from newschannel5.com on May 31st. So they got, they, got, uh, they got to work real quick on these custom caskets. It's titled, Uvalde Victims to be Buried in Custom Caskets. It says the children killed at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, will be buried in custom caskets. Trey Ganim of Soulshine Industries said he and his son worked tirelessly to get the caskets assembled, designed, and delivered in time for the funerals. The caskets feature various themes, including Pokemon and the Toronto Blue Jays. Ganim said that he met with family members of each victim to come up with the custom designs for each child. The caskets typically cost around $3,800, and donations helped cover the cost. The May 24th attack left 19 children and two teachers dead. That's a lot of, that's a lot of custom caskets. It's almost like they had them built in advance, or like these were just... Uh, I don't know, caskets they had left over from some other project they were doing. I mean, it just seems too weird. 
Not to mention, ladies and gentlemen, these are custom caskets to the point where they're where all of this stuff is painted on, or it's you know one of those wrap kind of things where it has a wrap top. I don't know the timing to build such a thing because I don't build such things, but to have the time to talk to every single family between May 24th, May 25th, all the way to May 31st and have custom caskets built in a, in a, you know, the course of six, seven days for all of these people. It seems, it seems odd to me. And again, it's very similar in the Sandy Hook hoax because they're all doing the same thing as parents and as students, quote unquote. If you recall in the Sandy Hoax, they buried them all in the exact same place, allegedly. Again, who does that? In any real tragedy where there are multiple people who pass away, do they bury them all in the same place in this vacant field that was not a burial ground? It was just a piece of private property that someone had bought where you would normally build a house, and then they just stuck up all these makeshift memorials and then said that there are people in the ground. It's beyond weird. And it's just going to get weirder. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure what else I could possibly add to this other than the fact, just to round this out, is that, again, in, in my estimation, this has child trafficking written all over it. We know of this story, and I, I meant to bring it up again last week, certainly last week, because it was the beginning of last week, I believe, when I first heard about this. But there were uh, apparently, again, Texas authorities found seven, 70 rather, missing children in West Texas alone. And this comes from Breaking911.com, El Paso, Homeland Security Investigators, El Paso, the Texas Department of Public Safety, same organization that's running... Uh, running some cover, apparently, or attempting to ask questions in Uvalde. And numerous other federal, state, and local agencies located and recovered 70 missing children as a part of a three-week operation in West Texas. Operation Lost Souls ran from the end of April through mid-May in El Paso, Midland, and Ector, and Tom Green counties. The missing youth, many of them runaways, ranged in age from 10 to 17. The children recovered included victims of sex trafficking and physical and sexual abuse. The majority of the children were located in West Texas, but some were located in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex as well as the state of Colorado. No way I'm going to get that name. And then uh, Juarez, Mexico. The agencies provided victim services and counseling to the recovered children and families. Again, the timing is odd. I'm not saying that. well, I don't know what I'm saying. I, I would simply say this. People should ne- never put it past these agencies to actually engage in, tra- in child trafficking themselves. I'm not accusing the Texas Department of Public Safety for, uh, for, for doing that, but who's to really know? I want to round this out, though. I want to round out this discussion and this particular topic with something. Again, it's the children that. I'm wondering about now. We know that there's crisis actors. We know that people get paid. We know that families get paid off to push an agenda. It's evident that the school district is getting paid to put to ignore this agenda. Um, 
I find it beyond suspicious that there's probably endless citizen journalists who are really there trying to uncover things. I mean, there was a there's a reporter who works for Real America News, which again is the station that Steve Bannon works for and a bunch of other people. And the guy's name has slipped has slipped my mind, but I've seen him a bunch of times before, and he's gone down to the border a bunch and done a lot of reporting from down there. He was on a show, not Steve Bannon's, but another on Real America News, and he was down there, and he was asking uh, the host of the show, as again, he was in Uvalde, Texas, right outside of the school. You know, she she was asking him, well, what do you think about what happened and what does this mean and blah, blah, blah. And he was talking about how now the agencies aren't working well with one another and they're withholding information and that's suspicious as well. But then he ref- he, he seems to revert back to this, uh, this initial basic narrative of, well, it's just the state of society that the leftists have put us in and that's the real issue here and it's you know the degenerate school material that's taking place and all this other stuff and i'm thinking to myself all he's got to do is walk around the side of the school building where this guy allegedly shot into the school building take that camera zoom it in on the alleged broken windows with bullet holes and show everybody what it is that we're supposed to be looking at that we have yet to actually see but he doesn't do that. The NPC switch clicks on on him, and it just he just turns it into this, well, it's a leftist problem, and it's leftist society, and the Biden administration, and the current state of affairs, and schools are unsafe, and again, teaching terrible things, and whatever else. It was such a lazy answer that I thought to myself, again, just walk over there. I mean, you can see the school behind him. Take your camera and let's go look at a few bullet-ridden windows and, and see if any of the windows are even left. But we have yet to see that, which means it doesn't exist. They could make it up, I suppose. They could start shooting random bullets into the building now, take pictures of it and say, look, see, these were here a week ago. But they're not going to do that because, again, people would hear gunshots. So I, I don't know. It's I'm so I'm just so disappointed in the way that the media has handled this entire thing. It's not surprising, but but even these so-called again new media, alternative media, whatever else, they're just as bought and sold as everybody else. Real America News is no better than Fox News. Newsmax is no better than CNN. They're all they're all in the same boat because none of them are asking bigger questions and more specific questions. The question that they're, of course, asking now is, is well, why aren't, they, why aren't these law enforcement agencies working with one another? Are they trying to hide something? Well, yeah, if that's even true. I mean, if someone's not reached for comment, they immediately say, well, they've, they, they're holding up the investigation. They're not cooperating. Maybe they didn't return a phone call. But then they, again, just blow it out of proportion and they try to make it, make it something that it isn't, when in fact it's far more nefarious than they're even touching on. But the gun control debate, again, this, this continues to be the, 
just false path that people are drugged down every single time that something like this happens. So let me give you a local example. You've heard me mention my sheriff, where, well, he's whatever, my sheriff. He's the sheriff in the county. <laughs> What's interesting about Richard Jones is he's been quoted in the local newspapers as saying that before Sandy Hook, uh, schools were in terrible shape and they, they, they weren't uh, taking security seriously. And it was, you know, I would have given them an F or a D grade. And now he says they probably would receive a C or a C minus when it comes to safety because we need more guns in school. We need more heavily armed teachers in school. I want to run through a scenario that I put out on Gab just the other day. And it's this. This discussion of having teachers have guns and walking around the building with guns or having them in their, in their backpacks or XYZ. Having a responsible person have a gun, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. The Second Amendment exists for a reason. I fully understand that. However, people have to understand that it's possible that there's some reverse psychology taking place here. Because the sheriffs believe these mass shootings actually happen. And the enemy knows that. Which means the enemy knows what the response is going to be from these quote-unquote conservative sheriffs. And these individuals that want teachers to have guns in school. So they're, they're playing both sides on purpose is my point. It's a lose-lose situation and here's why in my opinion. The deep state and the people who are trying to divide society, again, the, the Marxists, the Bolsheviks, whatever you want to call them, Satanists, go for it, whatever name you want to label them as, these are the same people that play out multiple scenarios in multiple angles along with, again, responses from who they think is going to do what and when are they going to do it and what are they going to try. They want guns in school buildings legitimately. The deep state people want that. Now, why do they want that? Because it will legitimize an actual school shooting. Or, in my opinion, it will give them the opportunity to more frequently, I should say, legitimize a false flag shooting inside of a school building because they can use the excuse of gun possession in school by teachers as the reason to then take guns away from teachers. And then you have a disarmed, not just population, but you have a disarmed profession that teachers aren't allowed to have guns. You can't care. Are you a teacher? You can't have a gun. That's one angle. It's plausible. That, 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 that's a, that, you know, that's a possible scenario. But the bigger point is just that I have no doubt that the deep state wants guns in schools on a legitimized basis so that they can carry out one of these humdingers just real quick and real easy. And they can even falsify it just like they do all the other ones. Why not? Again, it would, it, would, it would give more of a foundation to their approach. And I'm not telling them what to do. They've already thought of this scenario. But in my estimation, that's why 
that debate always comes into play from the quote-unquote right or conservative right by saying, well, we need to arm teachers and we need to be, even now they're saying, based on this false story, they're saying we need to be more lax when it comes to gun training for teachers, that it's too stringent and that it needs to be more relaxed because we just need to get as many guns in teachers' hands as humanly possible. I find that funny because these are the same teachers who dress up as furries and put cat ears on their heads and uh, don't know how to appropriately dress all of the time at work, but you want to give these people guns. And again, you can't say, well, the leftists who work in school buildings won't want to carry a gun. Sure they will. Sure they will. And they will. And then what will happen? You see, what we haven't had yet, which, is, which means it's only a matter of time before we actually have it, is an actual teacher pulling a trigger on a student in a school when that teacher is legally carrying a gun inside of that school building. That will happen at some point. But that's going to be the, again, redundant, but that's going to be the trigger effect that's going to cause more gun restriction down the line. They're playing both sides. It's no different than left, right, Democrat, Republican. Guns in school, guns not in school. Teachers should carry them. No, they shouldn't. It's, it's, the, same, it's the same binary uh, dialogue that, that just takes place all of the time in order to force people to pick a side. When in fact, the answer probably lies right down the middle, which is, it's probably not a good idea because both sides are going to be taken advantage of in the long term, in the long run. And if that's the case, and both sides are taken advantage of in the long run, that's another angle for them to get guns out of our hands. Basic law-abiding citizens. So, I don't know. That's, that's me theorizing out loud a little bit. Uh, I hope I made sense in that in that explanation. You know, I I don't believe in gun-free zones at all. I think those signs are ridiculous. I carry a gun all of the time everywhere I go. Uh, I abide by the law. But arming teachers and making it more lax for them, I don't think is the solution. How about you just hire more competent people? Doesn't that seem like that's a better a better plan? Hire more actual police officers. But keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, these school shootings are so infrequent. And this whole thing was fake, just like Sandy Hook. The only reason that the Ethan Crumbly thing occurred, still in my estimation, is because the parents are on trial and he's on trial and there were too many eyewitnesses and it happened in one hallway where there had to have been, in, a, in what is seemingly a state-of-the-art school in Michigan, in Oxford, Michigan, which means there had to have been surveillance. So they have to have all of this. And all of this has to come out in the trial. So that's not, you know, ha- having, having teachers possess a gun in a situation like that, I mean, maybe. But according to the Uvalde, Texas uh, procedures for safety and security, they're supposed to have armed officers at the doors. 
which they don't have. Certainly they have them apparently at their high school. But in the Oxford, Michigan school, the alleged resource officer wasn't even on the campus because of a quote-unquote suspicious vehicle at the middle school or something. Well, that seems odd too. Why would why would that person be gone the moment that Ethan Crumbly would shoot four people to death? Um, again, with that many eyewitnesses, I, I, I think that's why it's more legit that that shooting occurred. And, I, I, and I'm not doubting it because even another clue, and, and I would say proof, is because the parents were very reluctant to speak to the media. And the national media didn't spend hardly any time on it whatsoever, which means that's usually the playbook when it comes to real shootings and false flags and hoaxes, is that with a hoax or a false flag, everything gets ramped up to 11. The volume switch gets turned up to 11. But on a real shooting, it usually hovers around a three, and then it gets knocked down to a two, and then they just turn the stereo off. And then that's it. So be on the lookout for that is my point. Be on the lookout for the dialogue that takes place in your local area regarding arming teachers in the future. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's going to be a good thing in the long run. I'm a responsible gun owner. I know how to shoot and all that stuff. I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying there, are, there were people that I worked with who I wouldn't trust with a gun. And those people were all about guns. And again, those are some of the, those are some of the dudes and, and women with itchy trigger fingers who are walking around the school going, you know what, I just hate that kid. I just can't stand that kid. I mean, that's all it's going to take. All it's going to take is an, is an unsettled teacher pulling a trigger for no reason or flashing a gun or holding it with her two fingers and going, oh, you want to lip off in my room? And they, you know, they wave it in the air. I mean, that kind of stuff would, it should get them fired immediately. And I'm, you know, it's possible that's already happened, but I don't, I don't see it. Uh, I don't see it ending well is the point. I think it's a giant scheme. Okay. Moving on now. Some jab related news here. This comes from WCVB5, bostonsnewsleader.com. It's titled, Here's Why Massachusetts Emergency Rooms Are Now at Record Capacity. And I believe I'm pronouncing this city correctly, but I'll at least give it a try. Weymouth, Massachusetts, I think. Emergency rooms in Massachusetts are more crowded than ever before, according to local doctors. Dr. Jason Tracy, Chief, um, Chief of Emergency Medicine at South Shore Health in Weymouth, says volumes at his ER are the worst they've ever been. Interesting. It says, quote, we have about 70 beds in our emergency department, and right now there's approximately 120 patients, Tracy said. Other Massachusetts hospitals, such as UMass Memorial Medical Center in Worcester and Tufts Medical Center in Boston, are seeing similar surges. Tracy said COVID-19 is just one of many factors playing a role in the high-record emergency room capacities. Uh, it continues. It says, quote, it's trauma, strokes, heart attacks, regular viral illnesses, pneumonia. It's pretty much everything, but it's just a larger volume that we normally see. Hmm. Could it be because they have AIDS from the jabs? It continues. 
It says hospital officials say that COVID-19 infections are continuing to reduce emergency room staffing, which is adding to wait times in the ER. Tracy said some patients who visit an emergency room could instead go to an urgent care center or see their primary care physician. Or they could just stop taking the jabs and take a lot of vitamins, minerals, ivermectin, hydroxy, you know, the whole regiment. But, you know, these, these poor people are stuck in the matrix and they have no idea what's going on, including, I might add, these hospital managers. Not, not just the patients, it's the employees too, which is a recipe for disaster. And that's putting it mildly. It says, quote, the emergency room really should be used for those conditions where time is of the essence, he said. Sherry Grankowitz, if I'm saying that right, a patient who visited the ER at South Shore Hospital on Wednesday, said she was still waiting to receive tests seven hours after she arrived. I don't feel very good about it at all, she said. It's very disconcerting. It's really disconcerting. Tracy and other doctors are unsure about when the long waits at hospital uh, emergency rooms will subside. Quote, we just don't know. So we are continually preparing for what's to come. I don't think they have any idea what is to come. This, uh, they, they don't have a clue. Not a clue. A few other education rest, uh, stories, however, I do want to mention. There was this one regarding, uh, I believe it was from last week, but this comes from westcooknews.com, and it's oh, it's titled OPRF to Implement Race-Based Grading System in the 2022-23 School Year, because again, at this point, why not? Oak Park and River Forest High School administrators require teachers next school year to adjust their classroom grading scales to account for the skin color or ethnicity of its students. School board members discussed the plan called Transformative Educational Professional Development and Grading, quote-unquote, at a meeting on March 26th, presented by Assistant Superintendent for Student Learning, Lori uh, Fiorenza. I don't know. I'm going to stop with this article here. This kind of stuff has to break the law. It has to be illegal. Changing grading practices because of skin color. It, it just, it has to be. Some, some local lawyer has to intervene with this and say, you're done, you can't do this, and you're going to be sued to oblivion if you continue. It's absolutely outrageous that, uh, that they're doing this. But this is the state of affairs of American K-12 education. And again, if, if people need more proof to leave, What's gone on over the last two weeks, which has theoretically been the last two weeks of the entire school year here, this, this year before summer, has, has been the worst. I know that I brought up a, an episode a while back, long time ago, where I basically said in that episode that at that time, that was arguably one of the worst weeks in American education when it came to politics, policy, violence, whatever. The, the last two weeks here of this school year have been, again, right, right up there as arguably some of the worst. And it's not because anybody was shot in a school. That didn't happen. It's just because all of this school policy and asinine school policy just seems to show up right at the end of a school year and uh, hit everybody like a freight train. 
And so here's another one. This comes from justthenews.com. New Biden administration rule will tie federal education funding to LGBT mandates. The subtitle says not using the preferred pronoun of an individual could also land schools and universities in legal trouble under the Title IX changes. Again, this has to this this has to be illegal. I believe it was in Wisconsin. I reported on this one a while back and brought this up. Uh, the students that were being charged with sexual discrimination because, or the teacher, whoever it was, uh, it was students, were suspended because they wouldn't use other students' preferred pronouns. Give me a break. I mean, talk about the entire environment of K-12 and higher education being nothing, absolutely nothing, but psychological warfare on a minor and a young adult all of the time. That's the environment. That's what it is. You send your children to these environments, you're sending them to the enemy. You send your children to these environments, you're sending them into the government meat grinder that's going to tell them things and teach them things and indoctrinate them into things that are not real. It's only a matter of time before it rubs off on even the quote-unquote most base students of all. And it's frankly just making them angry. I mean, the base students who know that this is all garbage are are homeschooling right now. But the ones who are based and are still going to these environments, uh, they're still being negatively impacted by this too. So, yeah. Again, the article says, uh, that change means that schools that accept any kind of funding, including students receiving FAFSA or Pell Grants, Uh, or students who receive federally subsidized school lunch funding will be subject to the new Title IX LGBT interpretation. Again, this is going to lead to more programs. It's going to lead to more of the social-emotional learning programs, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And And again, the school districts are going to say, hey, look, we're doing it. We're doing it. We have all the paperwork, and look, here's the pictures we've taken, and here's the club that we have, and blah, blah, blah. Now send us money. They're criminal organizations, ladies and gentlemen. These places are criminal organizations. It then says that not using the preferred pronouns of an individual could also land schools and universities in legal trouble under the Title IX changes. Quote, a third change that is unspoken and won't appear in the new rule, but will have implications. It will be essentially a muzzling of free speech for individuals who, for example, don't toe the party line on gender identity and will be forced to use an individual's preferred pronouns or be faced potentially with Title IX sex discrimination charges, Perry said. So it will not only require the adherence to these beliefs, it will force speech. It will compel speech in violation of the First Amendment. Well, then it's not law because it violates the First Amendment. And then we have yet to even examine fully the parameters of how that is going to play out in the courtroom. Turns out, ladies and gentlemen, we already know how that's playing out in the courtroom. Shawnee State University professor won a massive lawsuit against the school because the school sued him. I'm sorry. Let Let me strike that. I got the location right. The school didn't sue the guy. The school tried to fire the guy. And then the professor sued the school for a violation of First Amendment rights, and he won. Why? Because he wouldn't use a student's preferred pronouns, quote-unquote. 
This is already played out in the courtroom. There's already legal precedent for this. Again, I, I find it laughable, and I'm wondering again whether or not these kinds of stories are just brought up to grind people's gears and and uh, and drive them further away from American K-12 schools on purpose, not because the story is real, but because the story is designed to get us out of these criminal organizations. And if that's the case, I'd say it's working. If that's the case, if, if again, if one parent reads this and says, I'm not sending my child to that environment, then mission accomplished. That family has won. And if some white hats were behind a story like this and just pushing it out there to, again, just basically blow the, blow the whistle and, and shoot the flare in, into the sky and just say, hey, look, you need to leave these environments now. Here's another example of why you should leave. If people, if people buy it and they believe it, and, uh, you know, then, then great. If this is, in fact, real, it's just another example of how the Biden administration, fake administration, of course, seeks to basically break the law and then defend their stance by saying that they're fine breaking the law. There is no clearer example than this when it comes to a violation of free speech. Again, the, the business of pronouns is even odd in a basic conversation. Who looks at a person and calls them he, she, them, they? I mean, no one does that. You call the person by their first name. And unless they change their name legally, on the, on the roster of names that a college professor, university professor, or K-12 teacher has, it's going to have their birth name on that roster and on that roll sheet. Unless, of course, the parent is a whack job and the parent who enrolls their kid says that they want their, their son to be known as Mr. Care Bear or some other dumb name, and then they end up actually typing that into the system. But see, you can't even do that as a secretary within a school building because the name has to be the legal name of the individual because they, it has to be able to be tied to a police department where there are fingerprints on the record of said students or something like that. Uh, you know, legal proof that the student is in fact a real human being is my point. So, I mean, you can't have a bunch of cops running around a, uh, a town saying we're, you know, uh, we're, we're looking for a missing child and uh, they go by Mr. Care Bear. Can we please put out a, you know, uh, an amber alert for a Mr. Care Bear and see who shows up? I mean, the goofballs that would show up would be really scary, but you can't do that. You can't do that in any kind of a situation where they claim that security is their top priority. And this right here should prove to everybody that they aren't thinking. What I just explained is an angle that they're not thinking about in all of this, which again, it makes me wonder whether or not it's even real. I think it's funny. Uh, I think it's sad that there's enough whack job lawyers out there to actually take it seriously and then prosecute children and their parents because a kid doesn't say they, them, or zer, or some other stupid thing. I don't know. It's just weird. It's getting hot outside, I think, and the, and the heat is getting to people already. Didn't take long. It's only June. <laughs> so, <laughs> go figure. 
So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's been a hell of a two weeks, is it not? A lot of information. I want to thank everybody for contributing, sending me information. The comments in the comments sections have been have been awesome of the BitChute channel. And uh, again, I've, I've been getting a lot of cool compliments, and I really appreciate it. Again, I you know you're the reason I do this because I know that you're out there, and I know that you're listening to this, and uh, we're not alone. And I, I know that, again, if you listen to even one episode and you say, you know what? I knew it. I knew it. And what he said, I knew it. And yeah, there you go. If that's all it takes, then, then that works for me. And uh, yeah, because we're not alone. And that's the best part. That's the best part about all this. So with all of that said, again, uh, there's more Pfizer documents out there. If anybody's curious, I'll link that in the description below. Again, the beginning of every month, they're releasing more documents. So I, I, at this point, I'm not sure how it can get more surprising. We know that they're trying to kill people. And uh, at this point, we pretty much get it. We pretty much get it. It's just going to be a matter of who wakes up now and, and who does not. Who lines up for that next, that next needle and who does not. But uh, I'm going to do a little digging on those documents, and next week I'll let you know what I find. Other than that, have a great weekend, and we'll talk Monday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.